0: you have your Bibles, turn to uh, Mark chapter 9. And uh, we're going to continue this Red Letter series uh, where we're looking at what Jesus is teaching us. And today we're going to talk about how Jesus teaches us better. Uh, he teaches us a better way of life. And, and, and really what it comes down to is in the passage we're going to look at, Mark 9, verses 42 through 48, there are two specific... specific uh, phrases that Jesus points to that says if you'll uh, if you're doing this it would be better if you did that if you're doing this it would be better if you're doing that so he really does pinpoint for us how that we can move from worse to better now here's the deal though the the uh, picture that he uses and the analogies that he chooses uh, they're kinda scary and and it's not like he's saying go from better to best, he's saying go from worse to bad, okay? Uh, and, and, but really, he's trying to communicate to uh, his followers some specific principles that, that lead us to a better than kind of life. Uh, you and I know that there are certain uh, common sense truths that, that we've been taught, that, that you've been taught. For, for, uh, for me, my granddaddy always said, and my granddaddy, who's in Knoxville, he's, he uh, uh, still has the farm that we grew up on. Uh, grew up fishing in, in Stock Creek and uh, 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 baling hay and, and uh, watching the cows and all that kind of stuff. Marvelous, marvelous. Love it, love it, love it, love it. Well, as a young boy, he taught me how to dig worms out of cow manure. You know, find you got to have it, right? Did not bother me a bit. Didn't shrink from it because those worms would catch fish, and those fish were on the end of my cane pole, and that's all I cared about. So I'd dig those worms. And he taught me how to do that. Uh, he, he, he taught me how to catch grasshoppers. And my granddad, man, he's just out there catching grasshoppers. He taught me how to do that. Uh, one principle he taught me, and some of y'all will appreciate this. He, he said, now, if you're going to drink water in the creek, always drink upstream from the herd. Am I right? You think? How, how, how many of y'all seen, uh, and really it was a cattle crossing, but the herd is easier to say, but you know where the, where the, the cows cross the creek? Have y'all seen cows cross a creek? They, they don't just all, you know, uh, leave, you know, it's not just whoomp like that. I mean, they kind of hang out in the water, do things, right? You know what I'm talking about? Do I have to spell it out for you? I'm not going to, it, but, 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 so, it, really common sense, right? It's better to drink water upstream from the herd. If you're going to drink from the creek, it's better to drink upstream from the herd. That's kind of what Jesus is saying. This is not as good as that, and both of them are bad. Let's look at a better way. Um, uh, you know the saying, and this is a, a, a familiar saying. One bird in the hand is better than... Two birds in the bush. He said, "One bird in the hand better than two birds." It's so common sense, all right. Well, what Jesus does is he he ups this a little bit and he gives us spiritual truth that, that lead us to a better life. Now, I, I've got to tell you, Jesus was not playing softball here. Uh, he wasn't he wasn't sharing this uh, for the uh, faint of uh, faint of heart. And many of them probably were faint of heart, but, but he needed to share it anyway. And so uh, the truth that he shares is important for us to, to take hold of, all right? And, and if we're going to take hold of it, then we need to kind of brace ourselves a little bit, all right? So let me read the passage, and then uh, let, let me see if, if we can't unwrap it a little bit and see how that we can have better than, all right? So uh, Mark chapter 9, beginning verse 42. Uh, Jesus says, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be, what's the word? Better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to ha- enter life. Lame, uh, enter, uh, enter life maimed rather than having two hands to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off, for it is better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and their fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, Pluck it out. For it is better for you to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire where their worm does not die and their fire. Is not quenched. So, what is Jesus trying to get at here? Well, remember the setting. And Philip preached this last week, shared about how uh, uh, Jesus had the, uh, was surrounded by children. and He talked about service and being a servant leader, and it, the, the measure and stature of who we are in the kingdom of God is not our position, but rather it's our our, our service and our sacrifice, um, and and we're known uh, uh, by our service, not by our position. Uh, and and that's that's what Jesus was communicating and calling us as His people to be great servants, right? And, and so that was that was last week, and, and to serve uh, the least of these, right? A, a child could do nothing for you, positionally or um, uh, in 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 a, in a social way or stature wise, just to bless the child, okay? And, and so now Jesus continues this theme using the children or utilizing the children around him as, as, as an illustration of how we should live better than. all right? Now, what he does, I mean, his... his verse 42, the first one, man, that's, that's just rough. Right, let, let, let's, let's talk a little bit. Verse 42, he says, it, 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 Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble... It would be better for him to have a millstone wrapped around his neck and thrown into the sea. That's not so he could go for a swim. That's not a scuba dive. Right? That's death. So Jesus is saying, he's he's upping the ante. See, many times we look at children as if they're, you know, they're a necessary evil or let them go have their vacation Bible school. Everything else in the church is mine. But Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. Let's up this ante a little bit. Whoever causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better if he were to drown in the sea than the judgment that God would bring on them. It's not a small thing for us to cause a child to stumble. So here we are. We're looking at this, and 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 Christ's listeners had the advantage of language. Okay, so they understood what Jesus was saying. Uh, for us, I'm, I just spent a week in El Salvador, and and they spoke a language, and that language was different than mine. And so unwrapping what they say is is different. It's challenging. Bano, I got that. That's bathroom. No problem. No problema. Perfecto. El baño. Right. Easy breezy, but there are a lot of other phrases that are different, and so I have to unwrap them. In the same way, Jesus did not speak English. He could have because he's Jesus, but English hadn't been invented yet. And Jesus did not speak, 1611, King James Version, with the these and the thous and the thines. And that may be your favorite translation. I appreciate that, but that's not what he spoke. Jesus spoke Aramaic. Hebrew, both of those. And when uh, John Mark was writing this gospel, he wrote it in Greek because that was the language of the people. So Jesus is speaking, and, and so as we look at this, if uh, anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, what does the word stumble mean? Because this is important for us. And because we want to avoid this. We don't want the millstone, and we don't want to cause the child to stumble, Right? Can we all agree that we don't want e- either of those options? That it's better for us to avoid both of those options? Can we all agree with that? Does everybody agree? Are we all in agreement? Okay, all right. So, so we don't want millstones, and we don't want to cause a little one to stumble because little, causing a little one to stumble is worse than a millstone. All right, so, so what does that mean? So what does it mean to cause one of these little ones who believe in Jesus to stumble? Well, the, the term stumble is a verb and uh, it, is, it is the verb from which we get scandal, scandalized, scandalous. And uh, it's, it's in a particular form of a verb. It's, it's in a subjunctive mood. Uh, and, and so, uh, you, know, you know, verbs, they have moods, like women. Brandy, I didn't mean that. I'm not even looking at my wife over there. I'm just looking at you. I'm looking at a smile right like, no, verbs have moods, and these moods really influence the way that verb is taken in a sentence. It, it changes the way it's, 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 it's intended, all right? So this is in a subjunctive mood, and it's a particular type of subjunctive mood. I'm not going to bore you with all that, but here's what it's saying. What, what Jesus was saying is, whoever creates an environment for these little ones who believe in me to be drawn away from the things of God. Okay? It's creating an environment. Now, certainly, if I go up to a kid and I, and I uh, punch him in the nose, that's creating an environment. Right? Would we all agree? I'm, I, look, I haven't had any sleep. I'm serious. I haven't slept at all. So y'all got to help me preach this sermon today, all right? Uh, uh, so, so here we are. We, 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 we have that specific example. If I'm going to punch them in the nose, then that would cause them to stumble. The preacher just punched me. I'm never going to come to church again. I don't want anything to do with that kind of thing, you know? But, you know, it's also in how we treat them as adults, when we treat them with disrespect or treat them like they're second-class citizens or they don't belong or they don't have a voice. And and certainly, I I was raised to respect my parents, but my parents never disrespected me. You know, they, they didn't treat me like I was a slave. They treated me like I was their child, and so I had to be obedient. But that was a different ballgame altogether. What Jesus was telling his disciples is, and, and who knows if these disciples had any children at all? We don't know. We don't know if any, uh, it's possible that, that one of the children that Jesus had on his lap was uh, one of the disciples' child, children, but, but we don't know. But what Jesus was saying is, you know, you guys, you, you may have children, you may not have children, but it is your responsibility to create an environment where they savor Christ rather than stumble into sin. Now, that, that's, that's the first principle, and it, notice I put it in a positive way because Jesus can make it negative and, and but I'm going to try to make it positive so that I feel a little more comfortable saying all the stuff he said. So, so here's, here's, what, here's the principle, a better principle. It's better for us to create an environment where the children or the youth or those who are fresh in the faith savor Christ rather than pushing them away from the things of God. And we've heard the statistics, haven't we, that children raised in the church, 50 percent or whatever, 40 percent or 70 percent, whatever it is, leave the church never to return. Why is that? And there are lots of books that are being written, lots of articles that describe why, but I have to believe that it has something to do with us ignoring this simple responsibility that Jesus gives us. Do you realize it is your responsibility? You would say, well, my, my children are grown. My grandchildren live far away. How can it be my responsibility? If you're a member of this church, if you're a part of this family of faith and the bride of Christ, then it is your responsibility. It, 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 it's your responsibility to own this mandate. It is better for you. To create an environment, to take personal responsibility, to create an environment for a child or a youth or one who is fresh in the faith to savor Christ rather than say, I don't care anything about any of that stuff. So here's the question. Are you creating an environment where the children of this church, where the youth in this church and those who are fresh in the faith in this church, where they want to savor Christ because of your influence in their life? Or are you creating an environment where they're more prone to say, eh, take it or leave it? I I know what happens. I really do. What happens is we get so busy with our own little stuff going on in our own little world. I'm talking about me just as well as you. We get so busy, our own little stuff, our own little world, thinking about all the things that consume us, concern us, that we forget about these children. We forget about these youth. We forget about those who are fresh in the faith. Guys, I've been a pastor. I, I know I'm not the oldest you know, branch on the tree, but I've been a pastor for a while, I've been son of a pastor all my life. So I, I, I get church. I really do. I understand it. I understand what happens in church, and, and I understand kind of what happens in, in, in your minds as well, and that kind of thing. And, and what happens is we start saying, well, you know, I, I've been a member of this church for 25 years, and they need to be doing things the way I want them to do it. Now we're in a great church and I don't hear that often but I do hear it. Yeah, but, but those who, who say it out loud they're saying what a lot of people may be thinking in their heads and in their hearts. I do love walking up on hallway conversations. Oh I do. You, you see people go. <gasps> it's like they, they, they And and I want to say, what were you talking about? (laughs) And and I have to assume it was a birthday present for me. (laughs) Invariably, what happens to us is we get so consumed with what we want. I mean, those hallway conversations, I'd love those hallway conversations if they were about, man, we need to do a better job of seeing these children fall in love with Jesus. Now, that's a conversation worth having, right? Man, we need to do a better job of creating an environment for our students, our youth, to fall in love with Jesus. That's a conversation to get passionate about. Oh, we need to do a better job of seeing these new believers fall in love with Jesus. Man, let's go to war over that. Discussion, right? But how many times is that the whole way conversation about? I mean, really? For Jesus, he was saying, "Hey, it better be about that." For it is better for you to drown in the sea than for you to cause. Or create an environment where this child or this youth or this person fresh in the faith, really any believer, that, for you to lead them away from the things of God. Like I said, we, we, we were in El Salvador. And, and uh, I just want to tell you one story. And, 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 and I won't try to tell you many, but just one. Um, I want to tell you the story of Reuben. In El Salvador, we is one of those mission trips I really love. I love Malawi too, Ray, right? but but this one, this one uh, again, like Malawi, was was working with children, and we went to this center uh, where it's for abandoned boys. We walk into the center and and we go to this room where they do artwork, and and we walk in and and uh, they uh, they have all these these. Uh, young boys from ages eight to fourteen or fifteen, and they have them sitting at tables, and uh, each one of our team members is supposed to sit down next to them, and that boy is going to help teach us how to draw. And uh, and so uh, Reuben had picked me, and so I got to sit down next to Reuben, and and uh, Reuben, he wasn't so intent on teaching me to draw; he just wanted me to learn to color. Yeah, you know, just color. And he gave me the uh, he, he he had drawn the picture, and and then he gave me the colors to draw. Uh, like he, he would take a, a yellow, and he he'd put a yellow mark inside the place where I'm supposed to color yellow. I didn't. I got that. That was great. And and uh, and and then while I'm coloring, I think I'm doing a great job. That is a 14 year old boy. I think I'm doing a great job. And he went. <laughs> And I laughed. I thought that was the funniest thing. I said, do it again. And he, went, ha, ha, ha. he said, and, and the translator was there and said, uh, stay in the lines. <laughs> Kid you not, that's great. Well, Reuben and I, uh, we spent time coloring and, and, and didn't have a lot to say, and, but, but, but spent time just with him. And uh, probably spent 30 minutes, 45 minutes, maybe an hour with him. And we talked a little bit and, and that kind of thing. And, and at, at, toward the end of that first time together, um, he kind of got, you know, kind of pensive. And he turned to the translator, her name was Deborah, and he, he, said, uh, he said, I want you to tell him this. And he kind of looked down, he wouldn't look at me, and, and he spoke. And the translator started tearing up. And I said, What did he say? And she said, he wants me to tell you that you're like the father he never had. Forty-five minutes. Forty-five minutes. But, no, I mean, that, but that was all of us. I mean, Reuben and I got to spend a couple more uh, hours together, uh, another hour that day, and then uh, another day we played soccer. By the way, I'm very sore I realize this forty five-year-old guy my soccer skills are there in my mind but not in my body and anyway uh, we, uh, we, we, we got to spend some more time together and, and uh, the director came up to me the second time we were there and she said I want to talk to you about Reuben he is just he's really taken with you and and she again said he 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 looks as you, looks to you as a as a father and of course wow but she said let me tell you a story Reuben, uh, at the age of two, was orphaned. Uh, His dad was killed, and uh, at the age of two, his mother died uh, of the uh, HIV virus. And uh, so, from the age of two until he was fifteen, he's fifteen now, uh, he was um, without home, without family. He he had. Uh, aunts and uncles and grandparents—they didn't want to have anything to do with him, and so he was pushed from place to place, center to center, and he never knew anyone who just wanted to be with him. Um, she told me that that because I, I and we, as a team, came in and sat down, we didn't ask for anything; didn't uh, we just wanted to be with them, and we smiled and seemed like we were joyful and. He said, I was transparent. Don't know why he thought that. Maybe it was my bald head. I don't know. (laughs) But whatever it was, God connected us in a way that only God can do. And here's a boy. Oh, by the way, uh, he has the HIV virus now. Got it from his mother at childbirth. But you wouldn't know it to talk to him. You wouldn't know it to look at him. He just loved us being there. My daughter, Elizabeth, went with us. Uh, she did speak Spanish, and she did very well, and she was able to talk to Reuben. And uh, so Reuben started calling Elizabeth his sister and me his father. Guys, i got to tell you, it wasn't anything significant or special that, that, that Elizabeth or I did. We just created an environment for God's love to flow freely. And that's what we are supposed to do every day here in this place. See these children right here? We've got parents who are responsible. But you know I'm responsible too. And you're responsible too. And you're responsible too. And you're responsible too. And you're responsible too. We're responsible to set aside our selfishness and our own freakish way of looking inwardly and start fighting to create an environment for them to savor Christ. That's our job. We're supposed to create that environment. I'm wearing a little uh, wristband that, at another center, it was all girls. This center, and uh, there was a, a young lady there whose name was Carla. And uh, the first day we were there, she started picking on me, and I thought it was cute and funny, and so I let her. And uh, she, I didn't get mad about it. I, I we talked about it. I, she talked, and I listened, and I pretended like I knew what she was saying. And. Uh, uh, and, and kinda made fun of myself and all those things that you do and, and uh, you know I don't know let me talk and you can make fun of me and it makes you feel better and ha 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 gringo doesn't know what he's talking about right that's good And anyway we, we went in that right And we went through that whole journey and and uh, by the end of the day though Carla and I were friends and uh, this, the second time our team went out there uh, the guys went to a, a, a more uh, dangerous place with guys that no girls could go to and um, so we we went to that and the ladies went back to the place where Carla was and uh, when we met back up at the, at, at the hotel El- Elizabeth, my daughter, brought me uh, this bracelet and she said that Carla had made it for me um, it, all of them made something for somebody I think but Carla made this for me and in the In the center of it is a little tile that has a K there. And she made it for me because she said, We came and we laughed and we made her feel God's love. Now, I got to tell you, I'm going to wear this for as long as I can keep it on to remind me of what my responsibility is. It is my job to create an environment the right kind of environment where the children and the students and those fresh in the faith yearn to fall in love with Jesus every day that's what has to happen here so let me ask you again are you creating that environment with your words with your passions with your ambitions with your attitudes in your relationships are you creating an environment for the children and the students those fresh in the faith to savor Christ or are you causing them to stumble better choice let's fight to create an environment to savor Christ well uh, that that's the first phrase spent a lot of time on that one and and we'll get to the second phrase I don't have to spend a lot of time on this one. This one's kind of self-explanatory. It is uh, painfully self-explanatory. If your hand causes you to sin, what do you do? For it is better to enter into the kingdom of God maimed uh, than to go to hell with both hands. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Uh, For it is better to go into heaven lame than to go to hell with both feet. Uh, And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. out, For it is better for you to go to heaven blind in one eye uh, than to go to hell. Right? Isn't that kind of what it says? Now, obviously, we know Jesus is not saying cut, chop, and pluck. He's not saying literally do those things. Uh, So please, no one try that at home. Uh, But he was using stark imagery to tell us about a better kind of life. And that better kind of life means that we as believers need to cut off our connections to sin. As followers of Christ, I'm going to take it this way first. As followers of Christ, you and I... Have connections to sin Uh, depending on how mature you are in the faith uh, your connection may be very out loud or uh, if you're like Chuck Brady chairman of our deacons it'll be probably more subtle Um, but we all have connections to sin I, I have an advantage I'm a preacher's kid which meant I grew up learning how to make subtle connections to sin without anybody noticing And then I became a pastor which demands that I have subtle connections to sin so nobody knows. I say nobody knows. Obviously my parents knew as a child. My wife knows as an adult and others can see it. It's, it's not that complex. But most of it's in my head. You're not going to see me go to Las Vegas. Live it up there, right? That, that's not going to be happening. But it may be happening in my head. And so... As followers of Christ, it is a mandate on us. It is a better life when we cut connections to sin. Those connections, and Jesus used the hand, the foot, and the eye. Those connections to sin for us can be a relationship. Our best friend, every time I'm around him, man, I just go downhill fast. Jesus said it's better to cut that friendship off. Others of us, we may not be. It may be our job. I'm not telling anybody to leave their job, but I mean, you've been in that job for ten years now, and that job has kept you from embracing, with all your fervor, a passionate friendship with God, a relationship with Him, obedience to Him. Hey, maybe you need to cut off that job. Maybe it's not your job. Maybe it's, maybe it's your thoughts. Do you realize that your thoughts are not designed to control you, but you are designed to control your thoughts as a follower of Jesus? I'm not saying it happens all at once, but I am saying that we are to be renewed in the spirit of our mind according to the Word of God so that our thoughts should not have dominion over us. They shouldn't rule us. Some of us have been followers of Christ for decades and the same sinful thoughts have ruled our minds. And here's what I'm saying. Today's the day to cut off your head. I mean, to to cut the connection to those thoughts. Friends, Jesus took sin seriously. Our problem is we don't take our sin serious enough. Oh, I'm happy to look at somebody else's sin and point that out and say, boy, that's serious. Am I talking just two truth here? I mean, you know this is right. This is what we do. We'll point at their sin. We'll say, boy, their sin is so bad, wicked, Uh, oh, oh, All the while, we are as guilty and as black-hearted with our sin. But we refuse to cut connection to our sin because we enjoy it. Or we can excuse it. Or we rationalize it. Or it's more respectable in the church. But it's not more respectable to God himself. I want you to take a journey sometime through these these, uh, vice lists that we have in Paul's epistles. You know the ones where we say homosexuality is a sin? You know what I'm talking about? Those those vice lists. And and it certainly is. It's there. It's it's a sin. You know what others are in there, that same list, right? Do do you know any of the others that are there? Can can somebody name me one? Gossip? Say like door neighbors to homosexuality. Let's just, I mean, but we excuse gossip. Because that's my sin. And Jesus doesn't. See, we we need to start taking sin as seriously as Jesus did. And the reason Jesus took it seriously is because he knew what he was going to have to do to pay the price for the sin that we're committing. The reason Jesus took it seriously is because he knew the price that he was going to have to pay to create a bridge over hell and into heaven. So today, my friends, I I, I beg you, let's live a better life. Let's let's choose better than. Let's make a commitment to create a climate here in this church. Me, personally, taking responsibility to create a climate where the children and the students and those fresh in the faith will savor Christ, fall in love with Him more and more, have a yearning to know Him more and more each day. And let's make a commitment to cut off our connection to sin. Taking my sin seriously. Not just pointing my finger at their sin. Next week we'll continue more of this. But you know, there is one simple truth for us to embrace here. Jesus knows the best way to live. So let's follow what he teaches. And we will live a better life.